Yo, what's up? How you guys doing tonight? Lame. How you guys doing tonight? Better, better, better. Hey, listen, tonight we're going to get after it right away because we've got a long way to go and not a lot of time to get there. But I'm here to tell you, as an addition to what we talked about earlier, what I was mentioning before we jumped into baptism tonight, I want to ask you to focus your hearts on what God may be speaking to you tonight about. Because I'm here to tell you that tonight, this message is for every person in this room, including myself. Including myself. Now, we've been in this When Helping Hurts series over the last uh, four weeks, this is the final week, and I want to start out by doing a little recap just to kind of show you a little bit of where we've been, and so some of these stories you will have heard and kind of know, and I'll just kind of point you back to them. But, um, and so the first week, we talked about fair and unfair, and what is the difference between fair and unfair, and we looked at the life of a lady named Wakitu. Now, Wakitu, uh, there she is, Wakitu is, a, um, is, is the poor of the poor. She lives in Africa in a rural village. She has five children, four of which have AIDS, including herself. She has AIDS, and she's pregnant with another child. Her husband left her because he said, I do not want to die in this little mud hut that we live in. Every single day, Wakitu gets up. She travels with one of her daughters, her oldest daughter, out into the countryside to try to find dry sticks so she can go into the village to sell those dry sticks in order to have enough money to buy water, to buy a little bread, just enough to be able to feed her children. And if you remember in the video, they interviewed her children, and, and, and her children said that many nights we go to bed with nothing to eat. The older daughter said that I can usually sleep and and. Uh, withhold the hunger pains, but the children that are younger and smaller stay up all night crying, crying out for more food. And we ask the question, is this fair or is this unfair? And then as we begin to look at Wakitu's life and we begin to look at Wakitu's spiritual life, we found that she's a woman of great faith. At the very end of that video, they ask a question. They said, Wakitu, if God were standing in front of you right now, what would you say to him? She said, first I would ask for good help, then I would fall down on my face and I would thank him. Which poses the question, why? You mean to tell me that you don't have enough money, enough food, enough water to feed your family... You travel miles as a pregnant woman every single day knowing that you have AIDS and you will leave your children as orphans, knowing that your children's lives will be cut short because of AIDS and the disease that they have in their life. And this is the condition that you live in and you say that you would fall down on your face and you would thank God. That is faith that no one in this room understands. And no one in this room knows. And the reason we say that her situation is unfair is because we look at her material need and we look at the life that she has and we say, I would never want to trade places with her when she would look at her spiritual life and her spiritual condition and she would say, I would never want to trade places with you. See, it's perspective. And the reality is when we talk about fair and we talk about unfair, we've got to talk about perspective. And we looked at the story of Job, and here's Job who has everything taken away from him. His family dies. He loses all of his possessions. 
All of his money, his house falls to the ground. All of his servants are taken away. All of his animals are taken away. This man is going in intense suffering and then boils come up all over his body. I mean, he is in intense pain. The, the, the boils are so bad, he's having to scratch them with broken pottery to open the wounds in order to get some relief that the pain from that would take away. And he's doing this and he's going through this. And when you get to the end of chapter 1 of Job, Job makes this statement. In fact, I'll read it to you. Uh, Job makes this really uh, powerful statement. Here he is going through all of this misery, all of his children, his wife, everyone has died. And he says almost verbatim the same words that Wakitu says. And he says this. At this, Job got up. He tore his robe. He shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground and worshipped God. He fell to the ground and he worshipped. See, if you remember, we talked about that week. The Job eventually started asking, God, why has this happened to me? I've done nothing wrong. I've done this. I've done that. I've, 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 been, I've done things right. And God then reminds him, and we talked about having a right view of God, the right perspective of God. And God spends four chapters towards the end of Job basically saying, who are you, Job, to talk back to me? Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you there when I, when I, when I put the stars in the sky? Were you there? Are you there every morning when I let the sun rise and every evening when I let the sun set? Are you in control of those things? Because I am God and I am. And Job at the end of that says, woe is me. God, please forgive me. You are good and you are gracious. Fair and unfair. In the second week, we talked about superiority and inferiority. We talked about that when helping hurts is kind of a part of our mission strategy. When we go do missions work for, in different places, we don't just address the physical, material needs of people because that is only one need that people have. The reality is, is that if you feed a person who is hungry but you don't ever give them the bread of life, Jesus, then yeah, their stomach is satisfied for that day but their soul is unsatisfied for all eternity. And so we don't just go and meet a physical need of people. We go and we meet emotional needs. And we meet, we meet the, the need of poverty of being. And we meet the, the need of uh, poverty of spirituality. The poverty of not knowing who God is. Which, by the way, is our greatest need. And that is the greatest need in this room. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with God, your greatest need in your life isn't a new iPhone or a great house or a great success one day. Your greatest need in your life is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And we talked about that, and we talked about a guy who was in a rock mine. We have a picture of that as well. Him and his whole family. He took a loan from a quarry owner, and he, him and his family will work in this mine for all of his life and all his children's life. And that's one of his children right there. All they do every day is break up rocks. His loan was for $600. $600 is all it would take to get this man and his entire family out of this rock pit. And Ryan Britt was speaking that week, and he talked about the superiority and inferiority. And we think, oh, man, oh, man, I, man, man, I'll just mail a $600 check, and, and I'll help him and get him out of this situation. This man's situation is far greater than a $600 check. You have to go to the root of the situation. You have to go underneath it and figure out why would this man get this loan anyway? Why would this man put his family in jeopardy anyway? He knew the consequences if he could not pay back the loan before he ever took the loan out. What selfishness brought him to that point? There are many other needs that this man needs other than just getting out of this rock quarry. Because you get him out, he will find his way right back in if you don't address those major needs that he has. And that night, if you remember beforehand, when you got here, we had chocolate, strawberry, and vanilla ice cream. 
And as you came in, you would ask for Brewster's ice cream, chocolate, strawberry, vanilla. And if you asked for chocolate, you probably got strawberry or vanilla. You probably got chocolate. And the reason we did that is to show you that in America, we have this superiority conflict uh, of complex within us where we think we're better than everybody else and we're greater than everybody else and we know better than everybody else because we're smarter than everybody else. We have more money than everybody else. And that's how we go and do missionary work, and that's how we go and do different things. And because we do that, when we go to help people, we're actually not helping them, we are hurting them. And so we talked about that. And then last week, I talked about taking a stand. And I talked about David, David and Goliath. And I talked about how no one would stand before, this, for, before Goliath. And that Goliath wasn't just challenging David or challenging the people of Israel. Goliath was challenging, literally, the God of Israel. And we talked about what that looked like and how, how the reality is is that we can talk about this one helping hurt stuff all we want to. We can talk about going on mission trips. We can talk about serving people and loving people. We can talk about all that kind of stuff. But the reality is if you're not willing to take a stand for Christ, if you're not willing to take a stand every single day, then the reality is for most of you in this room, you're going to leave, lead a life that is going to be ineffective and is going to have very little influence. It's like the old country song that says, you've got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. I found that it was pretty powerful as we were doing these baptisms and three students that we're baptizing mentioned in their testimonies, Alex Drag led me to Christ at Southwest Mose. Alex Drag influenced my life in this way. Alex Drag influenced my life this way. Last week, I asked everybody to raise their hand if they came here. If you started coming to this youth group because of Kyle Jasmine and about 25 people raised their hand, and I made the comment that Kyle Jasmine has been a Christian for five months, what is our excuse? I mean, these are students that are willing to take a stand for Jesus. They're willing to put their reputation on the line. They're willing to say, my relationship with God is way more important than anything else in my life. It's more important than friendships, popularity, girlfriends, whatever. It's more important than all of that kind of stuff because the reality is, apart from God, I can do nothing. The reality is, is that there's a gap that separates me from God. And the only way that I can get to God is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if I don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, nothing else matters because Jesus plus Nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Everything minus Jesus equals nothing. And that's my testimony and my story, which we don't have time to go in. So tonight what I want to talk about is this. I want to give you guys a statement, a phrase, and I want you to see how this works through the whole thing. And we're going to close out this series with this. And this is the statement. If we love God... And you can take notes. I've got, I've got it on the, your note sheets there. If we love God, I got it on the screen. If we love God, we love the things he loves. If we are for God, then we are about the things that he is about. Say it with me. If we love God, we love the things he loves. If we are for God, then we are about the things that he is about. Let's say it one more time. If we love God... We love the things he loves. If we are for God, then we are about the things that he is about. Listen, that is foundational to, to being a follower of Christ. That is foundational to being a Christian. And you say, well, then what was Jesus about? If, if we're supposed to be about the things that God is about, if we're supposed to be about the things that Jesus was about, then what is God about? What is Jesus about? Like, what are they about? This is what they're about. Number one. They're about the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment. 
The greatest commandment is given in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37. If you've got your Bibles, you can open up there. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37. And I want to read it to you. Starting in verse 34. Basically, a lawyer comes to Jesus, and he, and he, he knows the law well, and he says, listen, what, what, what is the greatest commandment? So it says, hearing this, that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and Pharisees, they got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, quoting back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And then he says, and the second of these is to love your neighbor as yourself. What is the heart of God? The heart of God is love. At the core, at the center, at, the, at all of, of who God is and what God is about is love. And here's the reality. The Bible tells us that we love because he first loved us. In other words, you do not have the capacity to love apart from the fact that God has given you the ability to love. The Bible says this, greater love has no one than this. So the greatest love that can be exhibited than he who laid down his life for his friends. And I call you friends. Jesus is talking here and Jesus laid down his life for us. He showed us the greatest act of love by laying down his life for us. And so God cares about people. God loves us. In fact, the interesting thing about it is, is that God doesn't even separate the two. He doesn't just, Jesus doesn't even separate the two. He's not like, hey, just love God. He's like, love God and love others. You can sum up the entirety of the Ten Commandments with the, com- the command, love God and love others. The first four are about our relationship with God. The last six are about our relationship with each other. The whole entire Bible gives us this picture that you cannot escape from the fact that we are designed, created, and purposed to love God and to love each other. Period. And so that is foundational for many of us, man. We call ourselves followers of Christ. And let me just ask you a question. Where's the love? Where's the love? Where's the love? You know, the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, which define who a Christian is, start out and they say that they're love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. What's the first one? The scriptures tell us that, you know, man, there's nothing above faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is? Love. Do we love really? I mean, I don't really see in our interactions with people as if we love each other. We say, well, I love people who love me. Jesus says, love your enemies. You say, I don't want to go to home group. I don't want to go. There's a girl there I don't like. There's a guy there I don't get along with. There's people there I don't care about. There's people I don't have anything in common with. That's great. That's awesome. Way to be a great Christian. Way to be selfish. Did he say love unless? No. We're called to love. And I'm here to tell you where we're going to go for the rest of the night. If you can't get that foundation right, you can't get any foundation right. And let me tell you something. If you can't get the love thing right, you might not, you might not be a Christian. Because the Bible tells us That when we put our trust and faith in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit comes and begins to live within us. 
And now we've been placed in Christ. We are now part of the family of God. We are now a new creation in Christ. We are no longer the same as we were before. And so because of that, we now have the Holy Spirit within us. And that represents the love. That gives us the fruit of the Spirit. And if those fruits are not found in your life, the Bible tells us you will be known by your fruit. If those fruits aren't found in your life, then maybe you don't know them. It's not about going to church. It's not about getting baptized. It's not about any of that kind of stuff. It is about putting your trust and faith in Jesus and then letting that live through your life. And if it's not coming out of your life, maybe you don't know him. The second thing that Jesus is about is he's about the great commission. He's about the greatest commandment, which is love. He's about the great commission, which is us going and sharing the gospel to people. And here's the reality. The gospel is the good news. If you don't know what the gospel is, the good news of Jesus is the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is what we know, that, that Jesus is all about, God is all about the great commission. It is a command that Jesus gives us. In fact, we see it several times in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 28, and Matthew, uh, 19 and 20, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. In Acts 1-8, the last thing Jesus says before he goes into heaven, he reiterates the great commission when he says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. You'll receive power, the Holy Spirit's coming, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the earth. Every single person who falls in love with Jesus and has a relationship with him, because you love others, you see their greatest need as their need for a Savior in Jesus. And so the greatest love you could ever offer for anyone it's the relationship with Christ by sharing the gospel with him that is the greatest act of love that we can bestow upon anyone and you need to know that God is passionate about making himself known God is so passionate about making himself known that that is what he is completely about. In fact, I will, I will submit to you, and I'm going to read you some statistics and stuff here in a minute, that, that God is not only about being known, but it is the responsibility of every person who calls himself a believer in Jesus Christ to make him known to the world. Whose responsibility is it? It's mine. It's yours. Who's, whose responsibility is it to take the gospel to the people groups of Africa or Asia or wherever that have never heard the name of Jesus? The, the, the setup in scripture is the church. It is us, the body of believers. God is passionate about this and you can see this working itself out everywhere. Let me read you some statistics. Did you know, I want to show you the spread of Christianity in the world. Did you know that more Iranians came to Christ between 1980 and 2005 in that 25-year period than they did in the previous 1,000 years combined? In 1960, about 5% of southern Sudan was Christian. Today, after a terrible war and persecution on Christians, the figure has grown to close to 70% of people that live in southern Sudan are now Christian. The Nagaland East India in Nagaland East India, three million people now confess Jesus as Lord, and their church is now in the process of sending over ten thousand missionaries to other parts of India and around the world to evangelize and to share this this wonderful good news of Jesus. In 1982, there were only seventy five believers in Jesus and zero churches in the country of Nepal. 20 years later, there are 500,000 believers in over 6,000 churches. Zero to 6,000. 
in 20 years. You think our church has grown fast. In 1950, when China closed its doors to missionaries, in other words, making it illegal for for people to go in and share about Jesus in their country, which you do know that it is illegal to share about Jesus in many countries around the world. In fact, the punishment for doing so is death. And people get killed every single day in countries around the world for the simple fact that they believe in Jesus. You don't hear that on the news all the time, do you? That's the truth. Look it up. When China closed its door in 1950, there were only one million believers in China. Total. Today, there are an estimated 80 million people. And listen to this. There is estimated that 7,500 new Christians come, new people come to Christ every single day in China. In fact, China has become the Bible printing capital of the world. But it's illegal for us to take Bibles into China. That's God. Every day, another 50,000 people across the globe come to faith in Christ. An average of 3,500 new churches, 3,000, this is important, remember this number, 3,500 new churches open every single week around the world. From 1990 to 2000, the number of born-again believers in the world doubled. Between 1990 and 2000. God cares about people knowing him and the spread of his name. But listen, sadly, sadly, the comparison to the U.S. is embarrassing. In the U.S., half of all churches did not report a single person coming to saving knowledge of Jesus last year. Half. 72 churches in the United States closed their doors every single week. 72. In the last seven years, the church in the United States has decreased by 10%. What are the effects on our culture? Our country, the United States, is now the third largest unchurched nation in the world. We lead the world in every area of domestic crime and violence, infidelity in marriage and divorce of any other nation in the world. This country. Is it affecting our country? You better believe it is. And I'm here to tell you, Mitt Romney is not the hope of the world, and President Obama is not the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. And Jesus is the hope of this nation. And no president in all of history has ever been able to put together something that God can put together, and no president in the future ever will. And that is the truth. And whether you were celebrating the other day or crying the other day, the reality is this. Jesus is the hope of the world. When are we as an America going to step up? See, here's the reality. God cares about the, great, the greatest commandment, which is to love others. God cares about the great commission, which is to go and share the gospel and let people know about the saving knowledge of who he is. But thirdly, God cares about the least of these. In Matthew chapter 25, he tells a story about how at the end of the time, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. He's talking about people, and he says, I'm going to separate people as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. We don't have time to go into all the nuances of that, but this is basically what he says. He says, I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats, and I'm going to put the sheep on my right, and I'm going to put the goats on my left, and I'm going to say to the sheep, 
Since you clothed me and fed me and, 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 and uh, gave, me, gave me things when I was in prison. And since you took care of me and since you took care of the poor and all this kind of stuff. He says to them, listen, because you did these things, then you inherit eternal life in heaven. And he goes over to these guys and he says, because you didn't do these things, you're going to go into eternal punishment in hell. The interesting thing about it is, is that this group over here, they go, but Jesus, when did we see you hungry? And when did we see you thirsty? And when did we see you without clothes? And when did we see you in prison? And he says to them, for what you've done for the least of these, this you've also done for me. Then these guys over here who didn't do anything for the least of these, who did not do anything for the poor, who did not do anything for the down and out, who did not do anything for the people who were in need, he says to them, they say to Jesus, they say, well, when did we see you thirsty? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you clothed? And he says, for what you did not do for the least of these, you did also did not do for me. Depart from me. I never knew you. My Bible is 1,553 pages from cover to cover. There are two, over 2,000 verses in the Bible. Over 2,000. That is almost two, two verses per page on dealing with the poor and justice in Scripture. Hear me. God cares about the least of these. God cares about the poor. God cares about the people who are around you that are suffering. God cares about these people. I find it interesting that when I start talking to Christians, they want to talk about what do you think about predestination? And let's talk about this predestination thing. Listen, predestination is mentioned in the Bible twice. I've never, in 14 years of being a Christian, had somebody come up and walk up to me and say, hey man, let's have a conversation about the which the scripture mentions over 2,000 times. 2,000 times. I'll just read you some more statistics. This year around 3 million people will die from AIDS. 2 million people will die from diarrhea that a common over-the-counter drug would fix. But they don't have access to it. Millions Millions of women will be raped this year. Hundreds of thousands will be sex trafficked and enslaved. All of these appalling statistics barely scratch the surface of how desperate and how broken our world is. This is central to the heart of God. Central to the heart of God. So I'll say it again. If we love God, we will love the things He loves. And if we are for God, then we will be about the things that he is about. Here's the question. What are you about? What are you about? And I'm talking to Christians right now. If you call yourself a Christian, what are you about? See, I can tell you what you're about based on two things. Based on what you pray for and based on what you get upset about. I just wrote down a few thoughts. Number one, what do you pray for? Do you ask and do you pray for God's name to be great in your school? Or for you to become more in your school? Are you asking God about how he would have you give yourself away? Or how much more stuff he can give you? 
Are you asking God to give you the courage to share the gospel with your school? Or are you asking God to give you the chance to be noticed by some boy or girl? Are you asking God to set 27 million slaves around the world free? Or are you asking God to make you feel better about the situation you're dealing with? Are you asking God how you can love the way he loves? Or are you asking him to make you comfortable? I can tell what you're about based on the things that you pray for. And listen, if you say you're about God and you don't pray, you are not about God. And if you say you're about the things of God and your prayer life revolves around you, you are not about the things of God. And I'm passionately concerned for the church in America and I refuse to allow our student ministry to become apathetic and not be world changers for the sake of Christ. That's the reason when you come here, we don't have crazy games every week with people seeing how far they can blow snot rockets and blend up like a whole bunch of food and see who can drink it and puke first. We don't do that stuff here. Because here's the reality. You can go be entertained all over the place, but we have something here that you can't get anywhere else. And that is an experience with the holy, one true God. And your friends can be entertained at so many different places. But we want to focus on the things that matter because there are major things at stake out there and we care deeply about them because God cares deeply about them. And I want to challenge you to be men and women of prayer. I want to challenge you to be men and women who chase after the heart of God. The second thing is what do you get upset about? Do you get upset about a post on Facebook or Twitter or the fact that 100,000 people will die today and go into a Christless eternity? 100,000 people will die today apart from Christ. What would bother you more? Wearing something that is clearly from Walmart or the fact that 1.4 billion people will go to bed without food tonight? See, I'm just going to be honest with you. It's impossible to make a difference and not sacrifice. Impossible. You say, but I really want that handbag that's $300. That handbag will pay for half of my man's debt to get his whole family out of slavery for the rest of their lives. That would put eight children in Africa through school for this year that they otherwise would not have the money to go to school. I mean, let's start putting things in perspective here. What are the things you get upset about? What bothers you more, losing a video game or a football game to your rival school? Or the fact that this week, 12,000 girls under the age of 12 will be raped. 12,000 under the age of 12. What bothers you more? I know what bothers God. 
And I think the reason that we see the decline in our country is because we've gotten so self-consumed that we cannot see the heart of God. Church, it is time to step up. It is time to step out. It is time to stop being selfish. It is time to start loving people who other people don't love. It is time to pick out that kid who's being bullied and go stand up for him. It is time to love people who no one else is loving and who no one else is talking to. And yes, it may be class, popularity, whatever suicide for you. But let me tell you something. Jesus would have did it. Just like every other person walked right past that Samaritan man, Jesus stopped and he helped him out. Just like every person walked past the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus stopped and engaged him. Just like every person that walked past blind Bartimaeus on the road coming out, on the busy journey to the Passover, Jesus stopped because he cared. And if you think you can be a follower of Christ and not care about the things that Jesus is about, you better check yourself. So, what can I do? Well, the reality is, is that you have time, you have talents, you have treasures that God has given you. And he has given you these so that you can use them for his glory and his kingdom. And you can do major damage for the kingdom of God if you would use your time, talents, and treasures for his glory. And we have some opportunities coming up for you to, to be a part of that and to serve. We have a Haiti missions trip coming up. Well, we're going to go into a community. I met with the people today that's going to be up on a mountain. These people don't have running water. These people go to a spring and a creek and they get their water out of that creek. Some of them travel a mile just to get water. These people are in a pretty dire situation as far as materially. But the church is alive and well there. And we're going to go and work with the church there. We're going to go sit in the churches there. We're going to go hang out with the pastors there. We're going to go help those churches share the faith. We're going to go out there and we're going to help the schools and the things that they're doing there. We're going to pour into them. And I want to challenge you to step outside of your comfort zone. I want to challenge you to grab a packet on your way out and pray about going on this trip. <clears throat> and God has already spoken. He's called us to love people. He's called us to care for the least of these. And he's called us to go share his gospel. And here's an opportunity. Highly unlikely he's going to lead you to not go if you take that step of obedience to go. And I'll just tell you, the spots are filling up fast. And we're going to have a waiting list that's going to be for both trips and spring break and the summer coming up pretty soon. So if you want to sign up, you better get busy with it and go to 12stone.com backslash global uh, and, and, and do it. The second thing is, feed the kids for Christmas. 12 Stone Church is doing something awesome for Christmas. We are deciding on December 15th to try to feed over 30,000 families children and their families over Christmas 30,000 people and why are we doing this the reason we're doing this is because we believe that God cares about the least of these and we believe that God cares about the people in our community and so what we're going to do is we're going to have six locations six schools that are going to be represented they came to me and they said hey is there a way that your high school ministry want to be involved I said no we want to more than be involved they said okay in that case we're going to give you three schools three of the six schools are our responsibility this high school ministry to be a part of. 
And so you're going to be hearing about this on Sunday if you come to church here on Sunday. But I'm going to ask you if you're a student, don't sign up for the sign-up thing on Sunday. We're going to have a way for you to sign up with us because we're going to, have, uh, we're going to be doing crafts and we're going to be doing fun stuff with the kids. And we're going to ask you guys to dress up like elves and you're going to look stupid, but it's going to be awesome. And because uh, everybody's going to look the same. And we're going to dance and we're just going to hang out with the kids. And we're going to make them feel, we're going to make them feel good. We're going to give them a party and we're going to give them food so that they will be able to have food over Christmas. Because over 50% of people in Gwinnett County and Hall County live on, uh, have free or reduced lunches throughout the school year. So over Christmas break, they don't get to eat in our county. Not in some village on the other side of the world. Our county. In our backyard. And we're going we're gonna to man it. And we're going to have at these three schools <clears throat> 10 to 15 students per, for both at each state. Uh, <coughs> station for both days and we're just going to have a good time or for the whole day there's two uh, different time slots you can sign up for and you can sign up for both if you want to but I want to challenge you to get involved then on uh, February the uh, 23rd if you guys remember last year we did a thing called collision which was pretty cool this year we're going to do something a little different. It's going to be a one-day serve day thing, which we're going to actually, versus serving in the afternoon at like a collision thing, we're actually going to serve all day on a Saturday. And it's going to start at 8 o'clock in the morning. It's going to end at 8.15 at night. We're going to do a service to end the night out about 7 o'clock. So that's an opportunity for you to sign up. But listen, here's the deal. The point of these opportunities... The point of these opportunities are to expose you, to let you see what's going on around the world. This point is to expose you to doing ministry with other people and seeing how God's going to work on your heart through it and how he's going to work in the lives of other people so that you would then take that and go into your schools, go into your neighborhoods, go into your homes and be a, and be a vessel for the Lord and love people and care for people and treat them the way that Christ would treat them and be about the things that he is about. This isn't so we can go and serve and feed the kids and be like, all right, I've done my good deed for the year. Now I don't have to do anything. No, this should motivate you and set up a pattern in your life to be looking for needs in the lives of other people so that you can help them out and love them the way that Christ would. That's the idea. In fact, maybe a challenge for you as you leave from here tonight is to ask yourself the question, do the people that are closest to me, would they define me as loving I'm going to conclude with this. <clears throat> there are 2 billion people on the planet that have no access to the gospel of Jesus. 2 billion. These are not just lost. There are around 5 billion that are lost and don't know Christ. But 2 billion don't even have a church, a missionary, a Bible, a, uh, uh, maybe even the Bible translated in their language, etc., any access or knowledge of Christ. There are countries around the world where there are less than, less than, point zero one percent of people <coughs> that know Christ. On every one of your chairs when you came in, you'll see a little card there. <coughs> All the cards are different. In fact, we've taken 50 countries and we've printed out six cards of each country. We're going to have a little time of reflection to close out the service tonight. And the band's going to come up and close us out or John's going to come up and close us out during this time of reflection. And you'll get to see some of the statistics and some of the things going on. And I want us to, to, to 
to respond in two ways as he sings this song. One, I want us to repent, which means turn. I want us to confess that we have not been focused on the things that we need to be focused about, and we haven't been about the things that God is about. And we want, and I want, I just want us to confess, myself included, to say, God, I, I'm, we're turning that around right now. And the second thing I want us to do is I want us to spend some time praying for this nation. And there should be five to six of you praying for every single nation that is in this room. Then I'm going to ask you to take these cards home. And I'm going to ask you to be a little selfless. Put it on the mirror in your bathroom. Put it somewhere where you're going to see it all the time. Put it in your wallet, whatever. <coughs> and every time you see it, I want you just to spend a minute or two just praying over that nation. Let me put this in perspective for you. There are countries that have 26 million people with less than 0.01% Christian. Let me put that in perspective for you. That would be like taking the bottom 15 states on the East Coast. I'm a great drawer. That's the United States, by the way. It would be like taking the bottom 15 states in the United States on the East Coast, bottom 15 states. This number, one person. One person would know Christ in the bottom 15 states in the United States if this were true about the United States. As John closes us, I want you guys to pray. Talk to God.